Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the Going Deeper podcast. AJ here, pastor of Life Groups and Discipleship. And, you know, we've missed a week of our podcast, but don't worry, we've come up with a great idea. We are going to debrief two of our guest speakers that we've had over the past two weeks. Dave Runyon talking about the art of neighboring and Pat Gelsinger talking about taking your faith into the workplace. And so you're going to hear a great conversation. And so we're excited for you to listen. Well, it is going to be so much fun to have a conversation with the people sitting around me. I want to introduce you to the table that we have set up here to have a great conversation about the past two guest speakers. And so to my right, I have the director of Cafe 4, Ashley Phillips. Ashley. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. It's great to have you on. Sitting across from me, I have our Director of Outreach, Hannah Blankenship. Hannah, Hi. welcome to the podcast. And to my left, I have none other than the IT Director of Salesforce and one of our governing elders here at Three Crosses, Carl Larsina. Carl, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come and have a conversation with us. Thank you, AJ. Happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. So as we said in the intro, we have just gotten off of two guest speakers. And so we wanted to invite as many people as we could uh, to debrief on some of the conversations that have been going on around Three Crosses to take you guys even deeper. And so uh, let's just get right into it. The first guest speaker that we had was a man named Dave Runyon. He t- wrote the book called The Art of Neighboring, a great read if you haven't read it. And uh, his main conversation came from Luke 10, verses 25 through 29. So I'm going to read that for all you listening out there. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So I want to bring uh, Hannah into this conversation really quick. Hannah is our director of outreach. And, uh, you know, in the conversations that we've been having with each other, I've noticed something about you. Um, I feel like your heart has been led in the same direction as Dave Runyon's, where it's like, hey, maybe it's time we start thinking less about programs and more about this organic neighboring movement well of just like, hey, the Lord has put me in front of these people that um, are unique. He's put me in this position that, you know, I'm here for a reason. And so I'm wondering if you could kick off this conversation by just talking to us about this journey that you've been on as uh, in this unique position as the outreach director here at Three Crosses. Totally. So just the way that the Lord has brought me to him over the last few years, um, even before I came here and was working at Outreach, I think kind of um, the way that things happened, we're already planting seeds around neighboring. Um, I didn't grow up with Christian community. Um, I didn't grow up Christian. And when I came to Three Crosses initially in 2018, actually, um, I didn't really love it. And I, I didn't 
want to come back. It wasn't a Christian, but mm -hmm. I did get connected um, through one AJ Venegas. Oh man. Um, to, <laughs> what a time. To a small group. And yeah, I remember you were mad at me for not getting it I, quicker. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I was like, this AJ is, I don't know who he is, but he's on my list. Um, and the small group, which was the John family, who are really cool, they were awesome and I liked them. And when I went to their house, they gave me food and they were friendly. And even though I wasn't a Christian, they were cool with that. And that went on for a while. And then when I, when the Lord started doing things in my life and showing me that I, I needed him and that um, he was the answer to, to everything, then the John family were there. I had been here on Sundays a few times, but it was it was that community in the small group that was a safe place. And when I my whole life was like turned over and sort of emptied out and dumped out and everything was upside down, they were there and um, I could ask them questions and do things like that. So that was kind of the, the power of community was something I had never experienced, the power of Christian community. And then separately from that, I was working building programs for folks experiencing homelessness. And so at that point when like the folks that I was working with are like chronically homeless. So every mm -hmm. part of a person's life at that point has basically fallen apart. Those two things kind of together. And then when I came here, um, one of the first things I noticed was, you know, that we were trying to do outreach, but we just needed to care for each other better. Hmm. So I've been, you know, working on programs and doing all these things, trying to um, build up that care foundation. But um, I felt like I'm, I've been seeing sort of like a, a planet hmm. <laughs> and the, the people who are maybe they've grown up in the church and they're, or they, they're just really connected for whatever reason. They're sort of the, on the ground, right? Mm -hmm, With mm -hmm. gravity is holding them there, right? And but in the care portal where I've been working and working with folks and um, you know experiencing homelessness and things in the past, I feel like I see the people who have been flying around in outer space and they sort of start to come into orbit, mm -hmm. right? And they're on the edge, but life is is messy and things are falling apart and and gravity is you know this. They're like struggling not to fly back out. I'm just seeing all of these people with kind of community is, is broken, right? And something that really stood out to me, both in the care portal and in the work I was doing before, was getting upstream of the point where people's things start falling apart. Mm -hmm. what, know, what do you feel like is us. what do you feel like is that upstream thing? Neighboring. Neighboring. Yeah, it's very simple. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like the, the people who are right around you, you know, because like a lot of the people I, I encounter in the care portal and working with folks experiencing homelessness, both, um, you know, we, t we tend to take so much for granted, but they're at these places where kind of the fabric of their relationships are, is, is pulling apart, right? They have these things going on in their lives that you know, maybe their relationship with the Lord isn't that strong or they have like d different stressors and all of these things. And um, there's just so much, you know, complicated things happening. And something that always stood out to me was what if it didn't get to this point? What if when the symptoms of, of schizophrenia started kicking in or when you first started 
you know, you first lost your job that started this sort of tailspin or you're, you know, the, you, the mom first had the baby and was going through postpartum depression. You know, what if there were people who literally live right around you when things were still sort of, people were still sort of hanging on? What if there were people who noticed that and who stepped in and who came around you and, and loved you and were there for you? How might that story have been different, right? Before all of these other things happen. So that's what started me thinking. And there's no program that can do that. I'm pretty good at making programs. You know? and, <laughs> and there's no there's no program with people right. that that will take the place of people having the courage to connect organically with their their neighbors. I'm interested to hear from you guys. Has you've have you guys seen this neighboring thing play out in your experiences? I lived overseas in a village in Uganda for a while, and it's interesting because I think in a lot of other cultures, they just naturally like your neighbors are naturally coming together. You know everybody who lives around you. If someone's sick, you're helping take care of them, or someone's bringing somebody a meal. Someone's hanging out and helping with like the new baby so the mom can sleep, that kind of thing. So seeing it run successfully and like good biblical neighboring because it's a little bit more naturally ingrained into the culture. Um, I have the privilege of, I live in like a little strip of townhouses and we've gotten to know some of the families. Um, Dave Runyon even said pets and kids are two easy things <laughs> to get people to know each other. Pets and, and kids. They have a bunch of little kids that'll play outside. So even just over the past year of living there, taking the time to take that extra like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to stay high to you know, go high five their kids and do that has built rapport over that. And so, you know, I kind of have a polar opposite. There's half the people who are really neighboring in my neighborhood. And then there's a couple that like we've never seen or we've seen them once outside of their house because it's very much, oh, garage door opens, they go inside and then we don't see them outside unless it's like checking the mail or something like that. So, yeah, I feel like they're we feel like we have to work for it a lot more in in America and in Western culture. Yeah, Hannah, I love your analogy of this planet and you have a lot of people that are orbiting but are trying to like break through and, and reach that gravity but they can't find their way. And one of the things I was thinking about um, was I wonder if uh, Dave Runyon's situation in Colorado was like different from our East Bay community, you know, like are there different hurdles or things that we face in the East Bay? And, you know, if you didn't attend his seminar after the service, two of the things he brought out um, as the biggest hurdles just in general was time and fear. So time, he pointed to like the Mary and Martha story, like, hey, we're so busy with things that we sometimes miss sitting at the feet of Jesus and what he's doing right in front of us. Or fear, you know, he talked about the the woman anointing Jesus and just going for it as opposed to, you know, oh, what's this going to mean? What's this going to mean socially? And so, Carl, I, I don't know if you've lived in the Bay Area. Have you lived in the Bay Area your whole life? Or? I have. You have. So you're very familiar with the Bay Area culture. And so I'm wondering how this neighboring concept sort of played out for you and uh, how you were able to think through some of the challenges that he Posed. I think when you when it comes to making time for your neighbors, it's something that um, the enemy's in there and he and will be telling you lies like you don't have enough time, you got your kids' activities. Um, that person doesn't want to meet with you at this time. <laughs> just for, just for clarity, how many yeah. kids do you have, Carl? 
Oh, uh, I have four children. Four kids. Yeah. Okay. Four kids. So you're, you're in the ringer. <laughs> yeah. They, and with lots of activities. So they're, yeah. they're doing baseball and swim and right. um, other uh, activities involved in the church here. So they range from 16 to eight and um, hmm. two, three boys and a girl and a lot of school activities too as well. Right. And um, how do you make time for that? Well, I think there's also a lot of opportunity there with um, – around the activities that you're involved in. So when our kids swim, we we start networking and, and start neighboring and with the other fellow kids' uh, families that, that are swimming or um, the ones that go to their schools, we, we hang out with them. And then there's opportunities there to invite and do activities activities and fun events inside there too. So you, you work around the events that your kids are working in the, the events that you're involved in, you could get plugged in, you could volunteer and help in some of those activities. And just by acting as a Christian, uh, they'll, they'll know that you're different. Like you're not swearing, you're not, um, right. You know, downing a lot of booze or, <laughs> or <Yeah>. anything <laughs> like that. They, they just say, Hey, there's something different about this family. Um, and, and that's when you can have uh, meaningful conversations. Yeah, it's just hitting me that around this table we have various seasons of life represented. And so I'm wondering how that resonates with you guys of just time and fear considering your life stage. I have a big thing about like, I think that um, singleness is such a gift that can be kind of overlooked. Um, and folks who are single can tend to to be focusing on what's the next step. But it is such an opportunity. You know, I, I've also been thinking kind of along the same lines about just time. Right. And like, it's so easy to fill up my time with all of these things. And I do have the opportunity and the flexibility to do that where I'm at in life, where I can, I can send my own schedule. I answer to, (laughs) you know, I'm not answering to anybody and it's awesome, but that can also, I've been thinking a lot about the opportunity that that might be to, hey, I have some extra time, or I could, if I was giving my time to God and not treating it as my own that I am managing, but that it's my time is a gift from God that I should maybe be stewarding to um, connect with folks around me. And um, I have opportunities to connect with my neighbors and to be there for them and to do things that um, I think it's up to us right to to make that space though ultimately regardless of where you're at in life for me i'm truly introverted at heart and my job is very people forward and very you know where you're hanging out with customers getting to know them build relationship and stuff like that but you know by the end of the day sometimes i'm just absolutely you know, drained. And so when I'm pulling up and getting home, sometimes my my heart response isn't always initially the best where I'm like, oh, I just want to go inside. Like I've had so many conversations today, but pushing through that and really like pressing in and like listening to the spirit when you do see people outside and being like, hey, I have 10 minutes. Like I don't have to sit out here for an hour, but I have 10 minutes that I can talk to these people, talk to my neighbors, ask them how their day is going. And over time, like that 10, 15 minutes here and there has really like built a relationship with the neighbors and allowed for for more back and forth, which has been great. And so, yeah, if you, I would say just if you guys fall into that category, I just encourage you to just add those five minutes because over time they really do make a difference. I wonder if it's possible to combine the two. I'm thinking about my response here, like 
the fear that I might lose time <laughs> in a weird way. Um, you know, I live, we used to live in a condo. We just uh, recently moved, but, uh, yeah, one of the things was like, we were just in a season where things got so busy that I feared that like this neighboring thing actually might work. And then my time is going to be, uh, you know, used for it, those things. And, you know, time is of the essence, especially here in the Bay area. And, um, yeah, uh, it's just one of those things where it, I loved what Dave Runyon brought of like, man, it's as simple as just getting to know their names and, and just making eye contact that with them on the way back. And over time, that melts our heart or, or breaks our heart for the person because they need Jesus too. And um, it leads me to my skeptic question, actually, because... I just said that it's very easy because all it is is just learning their names, but I can imagine people are out there saying, you know, I can get to know the names of a lot of people, but hey, we're Christians and we have this gospel message and there's a sense of urgency to this message. And so, you know, we need to start getting into people's business and, and really sharing the gospel and, and pressing that urge to, you know, hey, creation, fall, redemption, restoration in Jesus, faith alone, like that is your ticket to salvation. It is of the utmost importance. And I think that that's a fair critique. It's, it's, it's certainly true. And Ashley, I wanted to ask you because I think you tow this line every day with Cafe Four. You know, it's one of those ministries where, you know, you'll hear some people say, oh, I wish Cafe Four was more forthcoming with like a clear gospel message. Or on the other side, they'll say, man, I love Cafe Four because it doesn't like do all that pushy religious stuff. And like, we're all kind of searching for that middle. So I would love to hear from you from the Cafe Four uh, perspective. How have you guys been able to toe that line? And how have you seen, hey, learning their names and, and that slow, um, progress. I think Dave Runyon said like learning their names and it leads kind of into your living room, having dinner with them. How has that played out for cafe four? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, so first and foremost, like we try to make the cafe a safe space for everybody to come in, right? That if anybody comes in, like you'll notice we have a lot of like Muslim customers who are come in and because we've built this relationship with them, they still feel comfortable. They know that we're a church, but they still feel comfortable getting coffee because we don't press that upon them. We kind of build that relationship with them there. Um, like Jesus met people where they're at. And so we just try to meet people where they're at. Um, when I'm training my staff and going over it, I always tell them, I'm like, hey, like, don't shy away from the fact that we're a church. Like, you don't have to Bible thump anybody that's like coming in. But if people are curious and asking questions, then absolutely, like, go down that journey with them, like meet them where they're at, um, go down that journey with them, find that person of peace, very much like a Luke 10, five, like you find that person of peace and then help them take that next step, whether or not it's inviting them to events and doing that. Um, but I also tell them, I was like, you know, the great commission is to go and make disciples. Like you can build a relationship, but relationships don't get you into the kingdom. You know, that's that relationship with Jesus does. And so I think it's important to have that sense of urgency as a Christian in your mind and knowing like, hey, relationships are great. But if you don't have that kind of going on in the back of your head, then you're doing them a disservice. You know, that's, it's great that you have a good relationship with this person, but you're doing them with a disservice. But fry, fire and brimstone preaching doesn't Right. save people. So it's right. like you, we have to make sure that that's not what's coming out of our mouths, that we're, we're loving them. We're kind of leading them into that next step. 
the next step in the funnel. But I do think you have to have that sense of urgency and know it's not us. It's the spirit that's going to change people's hearts ultimately, but we're the hands and feet and God uses us as vessels to help people in that and lead people to that next step. So I think that's really important when you are walking that line, because we do have a call. We're not just sitting here waiting for it to fall under our hands. There is a level of like effort that is put in on our sides, but it, it is, it's a delicate balance because you have to meet everybody where they're at and people are in such different places with all of it. So it's like that, that internal thought process, but being mindful of how you communicate that as well. Yeah. I like what you said, Ashley, about teaching your staff. You don't need to Bible thumb people, right? God, God is the one who works the hearts of people and will change their, their mind and their, and their thoughts. And if if you just, but yet be true to yourself, right? That we are Christian. We, we, um, this is our church and, um, it's about building that relationship. And then as you build that relationship, that's when you get the opportunity to really have deep spiritual conversations with the person. And so I really love that, like how you're doing that to your staff and, um, you could see the diversity in cafe four and that that's really awesome. So there's this quote that goes around about, uh, what is it about speak the, uh, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words or something like that. I don't love that because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think that there can be, you know, kind of a lot of fear and, and things that prevent folks from, you know, sharing, um, the gospel explicitly, but it's just, it's just so important, I think, to have that balance because, um, we, there does need to be a sense of urgency. And I think sometimes in, uh, our context, we can get quite comfortable and we can lean a bit more on the side of like, oh, well, you know, I'll just kind of, I'll act in these ways and I'll do, and, you know, and they'll see, and they'll see, <laughs> and like, maybe they will, but I, I think it's also important to, um, build relationships. And, and that's something that I think that we're just not that great at in this culture. We're not great at building relationships. We're not great at having just kind of that warm, interaction and inviting people in. But if we combine that willingness to build relationships and bring people in and open ourselves up to folks with the willingness and the boldness to share the gospel, I think that's really worth that. think about our culture today in the East Bay and people are just hustling. It's it's a grind to survive out here and uh, something so refreshing about somebody opening their door and inviting you in. You know, it reminds me of, again, your analogy, Hannah, just bringing people, like what are some of the ways that you can bring people into that gravity to, to ground them in relationships? And, and, you know, one of the things Dave said at the se uh, post-seminar was like, they measured things based on the amount of calls that the city was getting. And um, I just thought that was so fascinating that when the art of neighboring took off the calls for all these uh, either government programs or even church programs just declined rapidly because people were sunk into the gravity of relationship. And, you know, there's something really powerful about um, relationship, but also, yeah, I think there's something unique that... Um, you know, so often I feel like we could take things and like, you know, 
have an ulterior motive. Like salvation is like our ulterior motive, but like, man, it's just like this unique balance of loving them. But like, like you said, Carl, staying true to who you are. And, um, I loved what, um, both Dave and Pat, and we'll move on to Pat's conversation here. Uh, what they both said is like, Christians should be the most curious people. And when I say curious, I mean like, hey, if you're confronted with somebody from a different religion that you don't even know about, it's like the Christian should be on the forefront saying like, ah, oh, tell me more about that. I love that you're like engaging in the spiritual journey. Like, tell me more about what's going on in your heart. Tell me more about what you believe. And, uh, you know, I love what Pat said. There was a simple phrase. It was, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And he took that into his workplace. And uh, yeah, he was just being curious. And uh, yeah, Christians should be on the front lines of being curious, asking a lot of questions to engage in those relationships. Because I tell you what, when you start talking to people, they love to talk about what they believe. And so, um, Carl, I had a question based on Pat's message. And Pat Gelsinger was the uh, CEO of Intel who came in and talked to us last Sunday. Um, I have a feeling that a lot of people in the workspace may not have ever viewed their call as full-time ministry. You know, they may have just seen it as like a means to an end. They may have seen it as something else, you know, uh, maybe it's like it is something like they feel like it's called to do, they're called to do it, but maybe they've never made the connection of like, hey, this is actually a ministry opportunity. And so I'm wondering, coming from, from IT department and Salesforce, um, how did that like initial realization ignite for you? Like what are some of the biblical principles or, or theological principles that helped you realize that, hey, this Salesforce place can be my full-time ministry. And what would you say to somebody that's like out there that's wrestling with, did Pat just say that my workspace can be a full-time ministry? How do I ignite that flame in my nine to five job? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Oh yeah, but, <laughs> that's why we go <laughs> but, deeper on but this. It, it's, it's a great question. I, I would say even before Salesforce, um, for me working and just having that relationship with God was pray about it first of all, and, and you just ask God, can you show me where you're working here? Can you show me um, how I can be part of this workforce? And that prayer was pretty interesting because uh, after that prayer, I saw a bunch of people who were Christians come out of the woodwork, like in, in a previous company that I was working at. And um, actually, I, I ended up with several people on my team that were Christians, and and he was revealing it in his own ways to me. And that created more momentum and opportunities to kind of not only just go into uh, your meeting and, and have a discussion on work, because like Pat said, first things first, your work is you, you got to get it done. That's your job. But then after that, what goes beyond the work? What comes after that? And having a team of Christians where, where I was fortunate to, to be um, working, uh, you know, we could actually close the door afterwards and and they would feel some despair or discouraged like with the scope of work that was increasing and uh, just leading them and just saying, Hey, don't despair. God's got us on this. Let's all pray over this and let's get this work done. And, um, we, we saw big things happen on our project team, but then, then there's also, as you move on to different workspaces and different places, uh, you know, you may not be surrounded by a bunch of Christians. So how does that work? Um, and I think it's just being true and, and uh, to yourself. 
And, uh, you know, it could start by just, you're doing prayer before lunch, um, a little, uh, you know, you're saying some grace there and, uh, people will see that. And I, I had people come up to me and just said, were you praying during lunch? And I said, yeah, um, you, you got to out yourself as a Christian. That that's one thing. <laughs> and, and that could, that could be, that could be a little scary, but how do you out, out, out yourself as a Christian? You, you, you know, you say your grace before your meal. Um, if people said, what did you do this weekend? Well, I also went to church, right? Or you, you, you can, you can drop things in there and, and people will pick that up and they will start seeing you as different and they'll start looking at you different. But then that creates a lot of opportunity because I, I, I can recall like, um, just having lunch with one Hindu friend and then we can go into a deeper discussion and I could just ask him a spiritual question about his beliefs. And he's telling me about all these Hindu gods. And, and, and then I'm like, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And I'm telling him about Jesus. And this seems like it's going nowhere, right? Um, I think another important thing is um, pray about it, right? A ask the Holy Spirit, like, what do I do here? And I remember in that conversation praying over him and, and just asking uh, the Holy Spirit, like, what should I do? And, and I'm thinking I'm going to get this big great Bible verse to kind of drop on him or something like that. And I just heard that soft, gentle voice of the spirit and the spirit just said, invite him to your small group. And, and I was thinking uh, to myself, I'm like, no way, this guy's Hindu. He's, he's not going to come to a Christian group, but I'd, I'd hear it again. And it, it's the soft, gentle voice. You have to listen of God's spirit speaking and um, you know, don't, don't resist it. You got to go with the, with the spirit and where the spirit's calling you. And in that process, um, I finally said, okay, uh, Vishnu, I, I don't know if you're interested, but I have a bunch of Christians meet at my house Friday night. We study the Bible and we pray, would you like to come? And, uh, I just saw, <laughs> I, I just got blown away because he said, sure, I'd, I'd like to check it out. And he ended up coming to our small group for, uh, 10 weeks and we did a, a book on, uh, salvation from Max Lucado. And, and you don't know what's going to happen there. I mean, he didn't come to Christ, but he, he definitely sat in our group for 10 weeks and he did have some questions, but that that's God, God's going to be doing things. Sometimes we plant seeds and sometimes we bring people to Christ. And so there's a lot of those opportunities out there to kind of have those conversations, but those come when you build the relationship with the people. Yeah, one of the interesting things I recognized when back when I was going to college was that like, yes, there may be policies that are like uh, restricting conversations about religion, but like it felt like the lay of the land. Everyone was a little just curious about what was the truth, you know, like there was conversations about what's going on and people were actually genuinely curious. And so, again, maybe didn't do this intentionally, but I know all of us here at this table had work experience outside of the church. And so I'm wondering, um, what are your guys' experience of either opening up your faith to somebody in a work setting or, you know, maybe having somebody open your their faith to you? Uh, was that, did you find it annoying? You know, all sorts of different questions here. So I'm going to let that sit at the table. Go ahead. Um, well, I came to work at the church about maybe uh, just about a year after I became a Christian. So there was kind of... so. For most of the rest of the time, I was not a Christian. I was in the workplace, and actually there were Christians around me. Um, but um, 
Yeah. So there was, there was definitely one gal who was very just kind of outspoken and, and she wasn't like, but she wasn't, um, she wasn't pushing on, on me per se, but she was very, you know, she was, she was just always talking about it. And I was kind of like, you know, like whatever. And, um, just kind of a weirdo, but that's fine. (laughs) Um, she was cool. So what, what made it weird about that? Like what, what was the situation there? Um, she just, you know, everything that there was just always a reason to bring up, you know, the Lord, which was great. You know, looking back, it was great. But at the time it was just kind of like, you're a little, you know, you're a little (laughs) over the top, but she was, she was cool and she didn't care about, I mean, she didn't care about, I don't know if there was any HR things or anything that we needed to be concerned about, but she was just like, whatever. But then when I became a Christian, the work I was doing, you know, I'm, I'm working with people who are literally dying, right? You know, they're under bridges and in tunnels and they're dying, like literally. And I started to have this like, whoa, you know, I'm with these people in some of their last few weeks a lot of times. And um, I was a baby Christian and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, ah, but I, I, I did know that like there was a lot of stuff changing at my workplace at that time. There was a lot of pressure to, started to be pressure to not talk about your faith and not do these things like that. And so I was, I was, and looking back, I, I could have done a lot better, but I was, I did, I was brand new. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just knew there's these people in front of me who are, who are dying. And I'm, I, you know, maybe one of the last Christian people that they come in contact with. So there was that tension of that kind of pressure. Um, but also a unique space, the people that I was working with were uniquely desperate, right? They were in a uniquely low point and open actually to hearing the gospel in a way that a lot of folks and people that, you know, encountering their workplace probably may not be. But um, my solution at the time was to kind of send them to people who I knew, um, to organizations like nonprofits or churches, like, Oh, this, these people have a food pantry or these people have something kind of send them that way and, and hope that somebody, and occasionally share, you know, um, precisely the gospel, but send them to other folks. Looking back, I, I could have been a lot more bold, but learn what can you do? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I had the privilege of working in downtown Seattle for a while, and it was at a place that was not very faith friendly. Like it was pretty frowned upon, like talking about Christianity wasn't wasn't really a thing Um, and had somebody go to HR because they knew I was a Christian and they thought that. I was being judgmental towards them because they were gay. The funny thing was, I remember it was about like a word they used and I just didn't understand it. Like even today, I still have to like ask my staff, like whatever the current lingo is. I'm like, I don't, what does that even mean? I don't know. And so when HR was talking to me about it, they're like, hey, we don't really think this has any merit, but this got brought up and I told them the exact conversation and they're like, oh, they couldn't even name what like what it was that you were doing that was judgmental. And I was like, yeah, even one of the guys was like, it's almost more like on the flip side that he's judging you because you're a Christian, like, and he's making that comment. And I was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's hard when you're in a place where you can't 
um, or aren't supposed to be overly vocal about your faith. But where I found success was just talking about my faith in reference to my own life. Like, again, like you were saying earlier, Carl, um, yeah, I went to church this weekend. Like, there's nothing wrong or pushy about, you know, it's like, yep, I went to church. Like, I'm not supposed to talk about what I did this weekend, or I was saying on the worship team, is going be like, oh, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I have rehearsal for this. So kind of just those moments where it's your own personal testimony coming through because people can't challenge your, you know, your personal testimony and the things that you've lived out or like the things that you did over the weekend. Like that'd be silly to say, oh, you can't say that you went somewhere, you know? So there's like kind of ways around it where it's like, hey, you can be praying for your coworkers, even if it's not Oh, like out loud over them or, you know, praying before your lunch and stuff like that. So ways where if you are in a more hostile place, just still not being afraid to talk about things in reference to your own life, even if you're not like kind of pushing it out there on people or talking about doctrine and stuff like that. I was just going to say briefly, I did remember kind of something that stood out to me um, well before I was a Christian. There was a a gal in a a place that I used to work um, and she was she was a Christian and it showed and she wasn't pushy about it, but you could, I could tell, I could literally just tell there was something different about her just in the way that she interacted. She didn't even have to be talking about Jesus. And that has stood out to me. I'm actually still friends with her to this day, but that is, that was like a, a, an early kind of seed that was planted that was like, there's something attractive about this and I want to know more about it. It was many, it was years still before I, anything else happened, but that stood out to me. Just talking about um, how to, how to share your faith at at work, you know, I think times are changing too. In the corporate world, there's uh, employee resource groups now where you know they want to um, reach out to a lot of people. Where you know it's bring your whole self to work, and part of that, like what Pat was saying yesterday in the sermon, was faith is one of those. And so, at Salesforce, um, the or you may have a company out there where. Um, they will have a faith-based group that's out there. And so at Salesforce, we have something called Faith Force, and it's where everyone comes together uh, from different faiths. And that creates an opportunity, a forum to share your faith as a Christian. Now, there's some rules there, like we're not going to proselytize or kind of share, like convert somebody or uh, do something like that. Because like I said, that's what God does. He'll take his, uh, he'll do that in people. But I think that also creates opportunities for you to kind of share your faith, like what Pat was saying, where uh, we would have like on a monthly basis, we'd have a discussion and we talk about um, Purim, you know, the the Jews celebrating that or uh, Ramadan. And the, but we would also have our opportunity and the voice on the table to tell them like, this is what Easter is and this is why we celebrate Easter and we believe in Jesus and how he died for our sins. So, so we're actually kind of witnessing right, right there to all these people. But I think you can also create other opportunity groups too. Like we would have something like we would call them duos. And so they would pair you up with somebody from a different faith and you just go off and you have meetings and conversations with them too. Uh, I got partnered up with the Muslim and we, we just got to talk about our faith and, and things like that. And also, um, there, there's opportunities. You want to find opportunities to connect with people. Like what brings us all together? There's things we can kind of share together, like family and, um, uh, just, just certain 
values, morals that, that we all believe in and, and try and find that commonality in there to bring people together. And what, what that does is like in your company, if you have something like that, then it could give more freedom to, uh, groups to meet in, in, in private and, and also have used the company resources. Like, uh, so from that, we have Christian groups at Salesforce where you could just meet as Christians and we, we just pray and we read scripture. Um, I think I invited you one. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you, you know, there, there's a lot of opportunities and I would say if you don't have that at your company, it doesn't mean like you can't start one or, or make that happen. And it just starts with, you can, you can go pray with somebody or, or take somebody off on the side and, and just kind of start your own, um, uh, you know, Christian group there. Yeah. It's really interesting how the lay of the land is shifting a little bit where you're being afforded more of those opportunities. Uh, from what I'm hearing, Ashley, it sounded like you were in a hostile environment that wasn't really friendly to it. So I want to ask that as the skeptic question for Pat's talk, um, because I know there, you know, there are a lot of different opportunities opening up as the the landscape changes in the corporate world. And yet I'm wondering if there's anybody out there that is just like, man, I don't have those opportunities. I wouldn't even know where to start to create those opportunities. And like there's this tension, right, that Pat brought out that, hey, we will be persecuted in this world. And yet one of the passages he brought out uh, was in Revelation 3, talking about, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And those are the words from Jesus talking about, hey, there's a usefulness for cold water. There's a usefulness for hot water. So you're just not being useful. And yet at the same time, there's tension in being persecuted and like being muzzled, as Pat said. And so Carl, I want to direct this question at you. Um, what if opening my mouth about my faith, what if it costs me my job? What if it, it costs me my, my livelihood? You know, I can't necessarily bounce from one place to another. Um, it feels like I have this job and I'm trying to make ends meet. And I, I fear that if I open my mouth, my family won't get fed. Like, what do you say to, to somebody like that uh, who's navigating that situation? Yeah, that's a scary thing to wrestle with, but it also comes with your faith and trust in God and that he's our Jehovah Jireh. He's going to provide for us and uh, help us through those times. Um, you know, I think it it's always scary to kind of voice who you are as a Christian and, and um, you know, work within the right parameters at, at work. But I think going back to what Pat was saying is... Um, you, you also do have a job, right? So, so you have to work your job, but it's also staying true to your faith, right? And in who you are and what you do. So, um, and, and there'll be opportunities for you, especially with your employees and other people you work with as, as they see how you're different, as you're able to share your faith, that you can even go deeper into those conversations too, as well. I think kind of, as Hannah mentioned earlier too, if you really are living the word out, people should be able to tell that there's something different about you, right? People should be able to see that. I think there's power in saying no to things that sometimes your no just like really speaks into people's lives. Like, no, I'm not going to go and go like bar hopping or clubbing to this thing or like, no, I'm not going to come to this 
thing or not engaging in, you know, like swearing and foul language or even just the content of what you're talking about or not indulging gossip at work and just being intentional about how you are living. And if you're thinking, oh man, I don't feel like they see me as set apart. Maybe that's like a challenge to see how can I live differently? How can I live in a way that people will ask like, man, what, what is different about you? What does she have? What does he have in him that, you know, that is setting them differently? I was, as I was listening to, um, Carl, and then as I was listening to both of you, I was thinking, I feel like there's kind of a common theme here, right? Of like, what, what is holding us back, right? It's, it's the same thing, right? Connecting with our neighbors, um, bringing our faith into the workplace. It's the same kind of, uh, there can be fear there, right? Um, but I was thinking of Paul's, um, Paul's comment in Romans about, you know, whether we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Like that confidence, that faith, that say worst case scenario, you know, I do share my faith with uh, my neighbors and it gets super weird and now I have to live next to them like forever or I, or I lose my job because I shared my faith. You know, the, our life is the Lord's and we are here for a short amount of time. We're on mission for him and he will look out for us. He will. And, and I know that's easy to say when we have a job and much harder to say when say we lose our job or something like that. But if, if that is, if that is why, if we're being persecuted or we're going through trials because we've shared our faith, because we're trying to do what the you know, share the Lord with people, God's not going to just let us fall. There's going to be something. Um, and I, I just think that's, that's really important that we have that perspective. Um, yeah. And it reminds me of, uh, John 16, 33, I was just talking about in this world, you will have trouble. And Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so there's, there's a promise an assurance behind that. And, you know, you can look to the cross, just Jesus you know, sharing the truth of what is and him being persecuted for it. And yet he turned that situation that seemed so tragic, so um, ugly, that death, he turned it into salvation for anyone who would believe. And so he is in the business of taking something that is a messy situation and turning it towards his glory. This leads to this final question. First of all, thank you guys so much for jumping on the mic with us. It's been a great conversation, but I wanted to draw out the implications of these past two speakers. And I think the common motivation behind them, as you were saying, Hannah, is what we often call it three crosses, and I'll air quote it, you can't see it, but getting off the hill, right? That's one of our phrases that we use. We gotta take our faith and we gotta get off this hill and, and bring it to where we are because as Acts 17 says, the Lord has placed us in a particular space for a particular purpose. And so I'm wondering if we could just go around the table one last time and talk about uh, in this You're Invited series, you're invited to get off the hill and take your faith off the hill. Uh, what are the stakes here? What does it look like when our entire church has this motivation of, of, okay, it's not only here at this beautiful campus that the Lord has blessed us with, but it's, it's 
in the workplace. It's in the home. It's uh, walking down the street and saying hi to, you know, whoever my neighbor is. It's wherever we go, the Holy Spirit is going with us. And so what are the stakes of getting this right? What are the implications of everybody on the move here getting off the hill? Dave, in the seminar he did after, ran some specific numbers for us that if everybody followed the the nine neighbor block on there, if everybody actually went out and met that many people, um, that 28,000 people uh, lives would be changed like just from our church going out and doing this and our church going out and neighboring. And like, that's, that's not a small number at all. And it's like, I think sometimes we forget the significance that we do have in being able to impact people's lives if we just take a chance. But I think we sometimes fall into this routine of we we just want to receive and want to be fed, but don't actually take action to go and do stuff. And I think we have a beautiful call to action. I think, I mean, the Great Commission says go and make disciples. And so this call to action that we have to be part of the solution in both things, in neighboring, in bringing things to the workplace that we are called to participate. Uh, to just in uh, neighboring, going going back to what Dave was saying, um, I I don't think it's as hard as people think it is. I think it's just taking the initiative to introduce yourself, like what he was saying. Um, fortunately for us, I, I, we we had another, um, actually another pastor on our court, and and he started a block party that that we would have every year, and we still do it today. He left, but. Um, it, I think that's a great opportunity to kind of like partner with another neighbor and just say, Hey, let's, let's just barbecue outside and invite the whole neighborhood. And, uh, with that, like in our neighborhood, we've, we've kind of, uh, we know everyone's children. We, we, we know the, most of the people on our block are our neighbors. And, um, th- there's also that opportunity for them to know you too, right? They know we're Christian. They know, um, my wife works up here at the, at the church. And, and then it's like finding ways to connect with them and, and do things where we can actually care and take care of uh, each other too. Cause a lot of the other kids on the block they're it, it's kind of funny. They'll, they'll be driving the same route in the morning to the same schools, dropping off the kids just as we are. And so there, there could be opportunity there for, um, you know, where my wife actually will take them home or, or drop them off. I mean, we're all going to the same neighborhood and, and, uh, do, do things like that. And I think also in the workplace too, um, it's, it's just about connecting and, and staying true to your faith and, and, um, you know, like what Ashley was saying, like, you're not in those meetings, you're not gossiping. You're, there's no need to, to swear over work and, and just, live differently and that that will actually make a big change and people will see that too they, they'll say hey i like working with carl um he, he's a great person to work with and um at, what are some things we can do together to kind of like improve like some of the the you know the work processes or something like that so uh, opportunities will come we are so comfortable here and and that's such a blessing but this is a prelude, right? Like we're here for such a short amount of time and all of the good things that we have here are, are awesome. But, um, this, this is a a prelude to the real, the real thing that we're all going to enter into in a pretty short amount of time. And 
the people that are in our workplace, the people who live next to us, like nothing is by chance. We are, are placed in a mission field, right? And, and we, we're not placed in a mission field that, that we need to be called to. We are called by virtue of us being there and having those people around us. And it's, I just think it's something that we can really take for granted. I know I have, but we, we live so close to these people who, who may not know the Lord. You know, we see people, um, at the grocery store in our workplace or wherever who may not know the Lord and, um, the power of relationship and, and not relationship, you know, with kind of like, you know, like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but, but real relationship, making time for people, being Jesus, you know, and being interruptible is, I just, I really think that's, that's everything that is, um, it's just, it's, it, it can't be quantified how important that is. That is why we're here, I think. And so, yeah, yeah. It goes, goes beyond a program as we've been talking about way at the beginning and it bleeds into this, uh, what Paul would call the body, the body of Christ, where each member is a member of one another. And so it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm hearing the power of community and, and how that can bring, like you're forming community in your workspace. Uh, you're saying community is that thing that brings people down into, uh, out from orbiting into the gravity of it. And, you know, community is sort of the way forward with relationship building. It gives you the opportunity to actually invite people to do different things. And, and you know, it, it's the body. It's each part doing uh, what they've been called to do. And, uh, you know, it'd be silly for me to try and do something that Carl is trying to do. And like, you're going to have access to a whole different people group than Hannah is or, or I am or Ashley is. And, you know, I just think once we understand as Paul understood that we all come together with different gifts, with different skills, with different talents, and we all go together, we become the body in which or for which Christ is the head. And so that's where you see Jesus literally on the move when his body is getting off the hill. And so, you guys, we made it through this long conversation. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Get to hear from some different people. Uh, Ashley, Hannah, Carl, thank you so much for joining us. 